Please turn with me to the book of Revelation. Uh, we are in Revelation chapter 8. Um, I know it says 1 through 13 there, but I, I believe we are going to stop at verse 5 today. And we'll pick up the rest of it um, next week as we go through. So here the word of the Lord as recorded by John in Revelation chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Let us pray. Our great and sanctifying God, you have set us apart according to the promises in your word fulfilled in Christ. You have set us apart through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit and the application of Jesus' saving work to our lives. We ask now that you would use this word and the power of the Holy Spirit to sanctify us even more so that we can live out the holiness which you have given to us and which you have called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A part of this passage, we see the uh, spiral of the book of Revelation. Uh, Simon Kistemacher, in his commentary on the book of Revelation, says the structure of Revelation shows an ever-increasing spiraling emphasis on the coming judgment. And we see this spiral here as, as vision two and vision three kind of cross as verse two actually introduces the next vision, which is the vision of the seven trumpets. And yet it comes in the opening of the seventh seal, which is the end of the second vision or the, the vision of those seven seals, which began for us in chapter four. This spiraling, this ever increasing emphasis that will end on, with the judgment of the world as Christ returns has also been described as a classical music composition, many classical symphonies or or pieces of music will begin with a theme at the beginning. And as you go through the rest of the composition that the composer adds and, and subtracts and grows that theme until it crashes into a crescendo at the end of the piece. And today we see one of those places, as I said, where the two visions cross. And, and uh, we will look today at, at mainly the end of the second vision, but we have to understand that this third vision flows out of the second vision, not in a linear way, but in a spiraling way as we will continue to, to cover the same ground over and over until we reach chapters 19 through 21 when that glorious rider on the white horse with the sword that proceeds from his mouth comes to finally, once and for all, wipe out all of his and our enemies. But today I want us to look at the seventh seal that is opened and the power of prayer that is revealed 
in that seventh seal. Verses one through five do cho- or one verses one and then three through five focus on the end of the seventh seal and just to, uh, the seven seals and just to kind of go back and to remind us of where we have come from. Uh, John has has been transported into God's throne room. He has seen the revelation of God's glory upon the throne and all of creation around that throne offering worship and praise to God. And then he sees a scroll in the hand of God who was seated upon the throne and the scroll has seven seals along it. And, and the scroll is full of writing both on the front and on the back. And, and because we are told that no one is worthy to open the seals, we see that this scroll holds the revelation of what God has in mind for the history of the world and the history of the church between the ascension of Christ and his return at the end of book of Revelations. But John falls weeping in tears because no one is worthy to open the scrolls. And one of the elders comes and tells him to take comfort because the lion, the root of David, the lamb who was slain and yet lives again is worthy to take the scrolls. And he opens the first scroll and we see empires come forth who are there to conquer and to suppress. He opens the second seal and we see death and in and, and personal strife and conflict and the death that comes from that. He opens the fourth seal and we see famine and economic hardship and the death that that brings. And he opens the, the let's see, one, two, three, fourth seal. And we see the death that, that pestilence has brought upon the world, that all people suffer, whether it's the, those who believe or those who who don't believe, who who reject God and his message. And then the fourth seal is opened and we see the saints in heaven, saints who have died in faithfulness to their testimony to God, to Jesus and to the truth and holiness of God. They're beneath the altar praying to God how long. And God answers their question. And when the fullness of the number of those who will die and their faithfulness is complete, then judgment and justice will reign. And then the sixth seal opens and we see the beginning of that justice, the beginning of that judgment. And those who do not believe rather than professing belief, go and hide themselves under the mountains, wishing that the mountains would fall and cover them so that they did not have to face the wrath of God. Then we had a break in the action as we see the people sealed by the blood of Christ, sealed by God for protection before all these judgments pour out upon the world, sealed for the glorious future that they have in his throne. Then we come to today's passage where we see the seventh seal opened and silence. Silence reigning in heaven for about half an hour. Now we get caught up on time when it comes to the book of Revelation, but It's not necessarily about a hard 30 seconds. It's not like God says, okay, Jesus, on my mark, open the seal and now and in 30 minutes, you guys can talk again. No, the picture here is a brief period of time. They didn't have watches. They didn't have clocks. They didn't have smartphones to tell them what the exact proper time was in the first century. They they. They divide the day from sunrise to sunset into 12 periods of time that they called hours. 
It was the shortest period of time that they marked in their world. And so half of the shortest period of time that you mark in the world is what? A very short period of time. It's almost like if we were to say, well, it's half a second of silence. It's it's this idea that it's, it's, it's less about the time and it's more about the reality of what the silence entails. Our Old Testament reading from today, from Zephaniah, talked about what opened up with the command to be silent for the day of the Lord is here. The day of the Lord in the Old Testament is that great day when God comes to bring judgment upon the nations who are not loyal to him, including Israelites who have turned their backs upon God and have and have embraced idolatry rather than worship of God. It's a warning, it's a listening, it's a call to hear that judgment is coming. And so we see in this eighth seal, or the seventh seal in the eighth chapter, excuse me, we see in the seventh seal that all of heaven is silent because judgment has come. We see this picked up in verse three as another angel, an angel separate from the seven who stand there before the throne of God with the golden trumpets, which we'll look at a little bit more next week. This other angel comes to the altar. We've talked before about this altar is most likely the, a refle- or not, not a reflection, but the true altar of incense that was there in the tabernacle and in the temple right before the curtain with between the holy place and the most holy place. And the, the, the angel approaches the altar and he is given much incense to offer along with the prayers of the saints. And we'll come back to that here in a few moments. But, but as he offers that, the smoke goes together with the prayers of the saints before God and then after that, he takes the censer, this, this golden uh, container that would have held incense that coals would have been placed on top of so that the incense could burn and give its fragrance in the world. He takes that censer. He fills it with fire from the altar and he hurls it on the earth. And with it came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, in an earthquake. Words that are used here, they'll be used again in chapter 11 at the end of the next vision. They'll be used in chapter 16 at the end of that vision as well to show the judgment of God that falls upon the wicked, upon the unrighteous. But what is the impetus for the judgment falling upon the earth? Well, it is that incense mixed with the prayers of the saints. We see here that this angel is given much incense along with the prayers of all the saints and that that the incense is mixed with the prayers before it ascends to God's throne to be a pleasing aroma before God. This is a picture we've picked up already in this vision as we looked at chapter 5. As the 24 elders are seated around the throne of God, worshiping him, they hold golden bowls full of incense that they are offering up to God. And we are told in chapter five that that incense is the prayers of the saints. We see that picture taken up here again at the end of this vision. By the way, brothers and sisters, when you see themes like that, that are almost the exact same thing repeated or at least the exact same 
symbolism repeated, it, it lets us know that there's a beginning and an end to a passage oftentimes. It's, it's, a, it's a poetic um, device that the authors would use to say, this opens with incense, this closes with incense, this is one complete whole here in these three or four chapters. This picture here of the incense mixed with the saints should take us back once again to Leviticus chapter 16 in the Day of Atonement. I have been amazed, brothers and sisters, as I have studied through this, how much Leviticus plays a role in the book of Revelation, specifically the Day of Atonement. So if you're ever bored the next time you're reading the book of Leviticus, read Revelation as well, it'll help. But there on that day of atonement, the priest has offered the sacrifices for himself, for the people. He has cleansed his robes. He has cleansed the people. He has cleansed the entrance and the holy place in the tabernacle. And there's one last place to go and cleanse from the defilement of the fact that the tabernacle exists in the middle of a people who are sinners. It's a holy God living in the midst of an unholy people. And before he enters that most holy place, there's this altar. He puts the coals on the altar. He dumps the incense on the altar and the incense fills the room. And as he opens the curtain between the holy place and the most holy place, that incense fills the most holy place as well to cover the priest. And why does the priest need to be covered? Because he's a sinner. And he's entering God's holy presence. This is God's throne room, God's footstool. That Ark of the Covenant is a tangible symbol of God with us. And so the priest must be covered with this incense. And so once again, we have a picture of the people of God being covered so that they can be in God's presence. But it's not the people of God as a whole it is the prayers of the saints that are covered by the incense of God. There's a sense that the silence is not only there to warn the people of impending judgment that is coming as Christ returns, but the silence is also there so that God can hear the prayers of his saints. Well, brothers and sisters, that, that worship that echoes throughout all of creation that we had, that we had ex that we were exposed to in the last chapter, it is not going to overwhelm God's hearing. But for us, it's good for us to have this, this picture of God tuning out all of that glorious noise, that worship noise, so that he can hear our prayers. We, when I get in conversation sometimes, that, getting to a point in my life where background noise is just annoying. I hate to admit that out loud. But you, you try to have a conversation with somebody, you're trying to genuinely listen to them, and there's, there, there's people talking in the background, or there's music going on in the background, or my goodness, Fairley is just busy this time of the year with cars going mainly that direction from where I can see it. <laughs> But I was going to say going up and down the road, but from here, you don't want to go both directions on the road. But just that background noise to hear somebody talk, it's just getting annoying, I'm sorry to say. God doesn't struggle with that. All that background noise is nothing to God. And when you and I pray, it's as if he was silent 
and he can hear us. And we see as well that he answers these prayers because what prayers do you think he is talking about here in verses one through five is mixed with the incense to go before God? It's the prayer of the saints from when the fifth seal was open. Remember, this is one whole, this is one context, this is one piece all put together. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And he says, then each was given them, then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of the fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Apparently, by the time we get to the seventh seal, that number has been completed. And God, in answer to the prayer, how long? sends his judgments upon the earth in the form of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning in an earthquake. This, this links us into a prayer that oftentimes we, we have a tendency to be uncomfortable with. And it's called an imprecatory prayer. There are 18 imprecatory psalms, at least 18 imprecatory psalms, in the book of Psalms. I want to look at part of one of them today, which is Psalm 10. Psalm 10 begins with, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And then it goes on to talk about a wicked and an arrogant man. And it talks about what this wicked and arrogant man does. He hunts down the weak. He schemes he boasts of his sinful desires. He is greedy. He hates God. He is prideful. He has no room in his thoughts for God because he's the most important thing in his life. He always prospers. He avoids God's law. He, he mocks his enemies. He is once again proud and full of himself. He curses. He lies. He brings trouble. He brings evil. He ambushes the innocent. He takes money from the poor. He is just an evil, evil man. And then the psalmist in verse 12 of Psalm 10 says this, Arise, O Lord, lift up your hands, O God, do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, O oh God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it and take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evil man. Call him to account for his wickedness that would not be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from this land. You hear, O oh Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry defending the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. That's one of the gentler prayers of imprecation in the Psalms. We're uncomfortable with these imprecatory prayers sometimes because we are so inundated with God's grace and love. I mean, even the pagans around us tell them, God is love. You just need to be more loving. Well, yes, God is love, but he's not love by itself. God is love, but God is also just. 
God is also holy. God also hates sin. And so the psalmist, both here and throughout the rest of the Psalms, says, Lord, you're a a God who is just. You're a God who is, as Proverbs teaches us, you are a God who promises prosperity for the righteous and punishment for the wicked. But we look out in our world around us and everything's mixed up because the wicked oftentimes are, are prosperous and the righteous seem to be punished. Lord, you've promised that you will punish the wicked. I know you're going to do it, but when? And God's answer through John is, it will happen. You can count on it. You may not see it in your lifetime, but you will see it. The wicked will be judged. We, it's one of the greatest travesties of our world today where we say there is no God, there is no afterlife. That means there is no justice, brothers and sisters. Because a lot of people get away with a lot of really bad stuff. And if there's nothing after this life, then it is what it is. Okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. It's a horrible thing to think about in our world today. And yet God says, through the prayers of my saints, my saints will see ultimate justice. My saints will see my promises kept forever. And it should bring hope to the saints of God who suffer persecution, who suffer under the evils of this world. And it should bring hope to the saints of God because it is through the prayers of God's saints that he will ultimately bring justice about. Your prayers, brothers and sisters, are so much more powerful than you know, than you think, than you can even imagine, Paul tells us in Ephesians 3. I'm going to get in the weeds here for just a little bit, but it's the idea of primary and secondary causes. The primary cause of all things is that God has said creation will go from point A to the new heavens and the new earth. And because God has said that creation will go from point A to the new heavens and the new earth, creation will go from the new heavens to the new earth. You can bank on that. Secondary causes, so that is God has proclaimed that that will happen. God has also proclaimed how that will happen. And how will that happen? Through the prayers of his saints. God proclaimed that Israel would go from Egypt to the promised land. You know how Israel made it from Egypt to the promised land? Because Moses prayed for them a lot. God says, I'm tired of these people. I'm going to judge them. And Moses says, wait a minute. You've made promises to do this. God said, you're right, I'll get there. I will get them there. I will be faithful to them. God didn't mean convincing by Moses. That's just how he decreed it would happen. How will the wicked be judged? By us learning imprecatory prayers again. Now be careful with imprecatory prayers. 
not all of them, but most of them end with a realization. Most of them end with the realization that, God, I have called justice down on the wicked. And as I search my heart, I am wicked too. Thanks be to God, he provided a savior for you and I who would take that imprecation from God, that judgment from God upon himself so that we can go before God and pray, Lord, remember that you are just and bring your judgment upon the wicked. But Lord, save them first. Change their heart. Grab them with the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit so that their judgment will fall on the cross rather than on them. That is the prayers of the saints. And God will answer them in his timing. But we can be sure that he will answer them. There was silence for about half an hour. And then God acted. Moving out from this particular context into the rest of our lives. I confess that I, and I would believe you, take prayer far too lightly. How many times have you just taken yourself to the end of your rope, trying to fix a problem in your life or in somebody else's life, and you've just gotten to the end of your rope and you go, oh, well, I guess all I can do is pray. That's a spiritualized excuse to give up. I guess all I can do is pray. Brothers and sisters, all you can do is pray. That should be where you start. That should be where I start in this trying to get from my own point A to the new heavens and the new earth. I try so hard to do it in my own strength. And when my own strength fails, I think, well, maybe God can do something because I surely can't right now. I should start there. I should start with saying, I have no hope in heaven of doing this. God, it's yours. You do it. I will bring this to you in prayer. I will bring this to you again in prayer. I will continue to bring this to you in prayer until I am either at a point where I see you face to face Or I can bring it to you in prayers of thanksgiving because you have either worked it out or you've worked me out to the point where I can be content in you even in the midst of the difficulty of this situation. Unfortunately for you and I, prayer is oftentimes our last resort. And yet God delights to answer the prayers of his children. And he works his power through the prayers of his children. Are you waiting for God to show up in somebody's life to grip their heart with the truth of the gospel? How many times have you prayed that? Asking for God to do that. Are you waiting for God to show up and make your life less stressful? How many times have you prayed that God would do that? Are you waiting for whatever? Have you persistently taken that to God in prayer 
again and again. Brothers and sisters, God delights to hear. It's almost like that time when I'm in a crowd trying to talk to somebody that I that I love to talk to, and I'm going, shush, 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 I'm trying to hear, I'm trying to hear, I'm trying to hear. God's not trying to hear, he does hear. And he will work his power in your life through your prayers. Start there. Don't make it a last resort. He hears, he loves, and he answers. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we oftentimes do not understand or know the worthiness of our prayers. Your spirit works in us here to motivate us to pray. Even when they're croaking, groaning prayers and your son works in heaven. To shape them into a way that comes before you as glorious and covered and covered with the sweet smelling incense. From your altar. Lord, we underestimate that. Forgive us for underestimating the power of prayer. And move us to see that as our first resort instead of our last. To see that as to see those prayers as powerful and not just an excuse to give up. Would remind us that you see prayer as worthy and as powerful, and that is how you work. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As you go this week to live, to work, to play, to worship, take this blessing upon you. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.